This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I've always loved that section of the first book of Kings dealing with the prophet Elijah. Our first reading for this weekend is taken from that section of the Old Testament. Can I invite you to read it at some point this week? Uh, those chapters dealing with Elijah and the adventures around him in First Kings. They're wonderful from both a kind of literary standpoint and a spiritual standpoint. Well, one of the keys to understanding Elijah is that his name gives away the game. Elijah, Eliyahu, Yahweh is God. That's what his name means. The man's very identity is anchored to an absolute clarity about what is of ultimate value. Yahweh is God. That's his name. And see, in many ways, this is the whole question in the spiritual order. Who or what is your God? And by God here, I mean simply ultimate value, ultimate concern, final preoccupation. What, at the end of the day, matters most to you? When you've answered that question, then you basically know who you are. See, what's your name? (laughs) That's a good spiritual question. What are you finally about? If your family matters most to you, and again, family is a great thing. I'm all in favor of it. But if family matters most to you, then you're a family man. If money matters most to you, and again, nothing wrong with money in itself, but if money matters most to you, you're a money man. If pleasure matters most to you, then you're a good time Charlie. Again, nothing in the world wrong with pleasure, but if it matters most to you, if it's your God, then you are named according to pleasure. If sex matters most to you, then you're a playboy. If your business matters most to you, then you're a company man. You see what I'm driving at? Is you can know what kind of person you are from what you worship, what your God is, what's of highest value. Well, Elijah, Eliyahu, is a Yahweh man. (laughs) He's ultimately and finally about God. Once we know that, we understand everything he says and does. It's why he challenged the king of his time, King Ahab, because the king had gone over to false gods. That's why he called down the judgment of God upon him, because he's about the true God. It's why he did battle with the priests of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel. You know that wonderful story, funny, strange, fascinating story of Elijah's battle with the priests of Baal. You call on your gods, I'll call on mine. We'll see who answers with fire. It's also why he's running from Queen Jezebel. She wasn't happy about the, uh, uh, what he did with the priests of Baal, so she sends the army after him. 
His name is Elijah. He's a Yahweh man. He's a man of God straight through. Well, the reading for today is uh, picking up the story now as Elijah's running from Queen Jezebel, and he's come after a long journey to Mount Horeb, another name for Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, the same mountain on which Moses received the Ten Commandments. And now here's the drama of this wonderful little passage. He's told that God will be passing by. What follows is an impressive display of natural power. Listen, a strong and heavy wind rending the mountains and crushing rocks, an earthquake, a mighty fire. Okay, I mean, even for us today, those are pretty impressive forces. This summer in Chicago, where I live, we've been especially bedeviled by heavy winds, some of hurricane force that have knocked down huge trees, knocked out power to hundreds of thousands. Winds just this summer kicked up a dust storm over Phoenix, Arizona, that was biblical in scope and impressiveness. I don't know if you saw those pictures or videos of that uh, dust storm, but it was pretty impressive. Of course, a few months ago, a terrible earthquake produced the tsunami that radically upset all of Japanese society. A fire the size of the city of Chicago burned out of control in New Mexico just a few weeks ago, threatening homes and lives. So imagine now, how these forces must have impressed ancient peoples who had none of our means of protection. I mean, I can look at these things from a distance and say, oh, that's pretty impressive. But when they're threatening your life and your livelihood directly, so imagine what that meant, earthquake, fire, wind. Well, if we read this story, as we should, I think, symbolically and spiritually, the wind, the earthquake, the fire, They stand for all of those mighty and impressive goods of this world. All the powers of this world that beguile us. Money, fame, political power, family, nationalism, etc. All those things that, figuratively speaking, can rend the mountains and crush the rocks and turn over and destroy. See what I mean? All these worldly powers that do indeed impress us. But see, the narrator tells us now in 1 Kings, the Lord was not in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. The Lord, the true God, Yahweh, is not identical to any of the great powers of this world. He is not identical to those values and forces and institutions that immediately appeal to our minds and imaginations. Rather, we hear this. There was a tiny whispering sound. And when Elijah, the man of the Lord, heard this, He knew that was God. Elijah, the God person, the God-obsessed man, is not preoccupied by the powers of the world, no matter how impressive they are. He knows that the true God has to be heard 
with ears that are very finely attuned. God's voice can be heard through the sounds of the world, but it's not any of the sounds of the world. God's presence can be discerned in all things, but God is nothing in the world. You hear his voice as though it is a tiny whispering sound. Elijah's great virtue, and it's the virtue of all contemplatives, is that he's able to discern the difference. He's not wowed and distracted by the immediately impressive values of the world. Rather, he listens, waits, discerns, discriminates, and is able to give himself to the true God alone. That's why this image of Elijah on Mount Horeb is such a powerful one, especially for our time, this time when secularism reigns supreme. Now, you might characterize secularism in a number of ways, but I might describe it in light of this reading as the cultural incapacity to hear the tiny whispering voice. Secularism is a total systemic surrender to the mighty powers of this world. Pleasure, money, power, politics, institutions, career. You know what I'm saying? The earthquake, the fire, the wind, all these great powers of the world. A secularist, a secular man, is someone who has utterly surrendered to those. What our secular culture needs is a whole army of Elijahs. Think of Elijah critiquing the king who had gone over to the worship of false gods. Well, see, that's exactly true of us today, isn't it? Our culture has gone over to the worship of all sorts of false gods. What we need are Elijahs capable of discerning that tiny whispering voice, the voice of Yahweh. Now, let me look a bit more briefly at the gospel, but with a similar spiritual squint. In our great gospel for today, we find Peter and the other disciples in the boat. And this means that we are dealing with the church. So there's the bark of Peter. Peter and the disciples in the boat. Well, that's all of us down through the centuries, disciples of Jesus, making our way through the world. They're met by great winds and a mighty storm that threatens to overwhelm them. So there's an echo of the Elijah story here. But can I give it a somewhat different spin? Just as we can be defined by the things that we seek and love, we can also be defined by our fears. Who are you? Well, one way to answer that is to say, what do you want? What do you worship? Another way to answer it is, well, what are you afraid of? You'll find out really all you need to know about a person when you correctly discern what he or she is afraid of. That'll tell you a lot about their motivations, about their actions, about their thinking, about their behavior patterns. Find what it is that is frightening a person, and you'll discover a lot about how they operate. 
ask yourself that question really honestly, and you've accomplished very important spiritual work. Let me say that again. Ask yourself the question, what are you most afraid of? And answer it honestly. You've done a lot of important spiritual work. Maybe you're afraid of losing your family. You're afraid of losing your health, your wealth, of losing your position in society, losing your good name, losing your life. Okay, I mean, those are all real. We all have those fears. What happens to a lot of people, though, is they become defined, determined by their worldly fears, just as they become defined and determined by their worldly aspirations. In the midst of the storm, Jesus comes, walking on the water. He identifies himself in the Greek text here as ego eimi, I am. That, of course, means he is the divine power. God's name, I am who I am, Yahweh, is derived from that. He is the God who can ride any storm. Listen, who transcends anything that frightens us. Peter now, at his best, has the eyes to see this. He keeps his eyes on Christ, and for that moment, he's able to walk on the water. When he looks away, when he identifies with what frightens him, that's when he sinks. See, friends, that's the whole spiritual story. Don't identify yourself with what frightens you, but keep your eyes fixed on Christ, just as Elijah kept his ears attuned to the tiny whispering voice, and then you will know who you are, and you will find the capacity to overcome even your most abiding fears. That's why we spend a little time with Elijah and with Peter to discover who we are. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love.